as of maybe a week from now, we'll be here a year, Amanda and I, and we want to thank you for your love for us during this year. We've been overwhelmed as a family and have been knit together with you in great ways, and we're thankful for that, Church of the Good Shepherd. I want to welcome the Killingsworth family and their associated popcorn-popping ability to just overwhelm everything. (laughs) We needed two or three hands for help, and we got 400. (laughs) And the Ostendorfs and the uh, friends and family of, of Jody and Jenna. Watching Lou, where is Lou? Oh, watching Lou walk his down his daughter down the aisle was very uncomfortable for me. I have to do that at least three times, and uh, it was very hard to see you do that. May God give you grace as you continue to give your daughter away. We're going to look this morning at Psalm 45 which is probably not a typical psalm or passage to look at for a wedding. And I wanted to give some reasons for it. Uh, The Old Testament contains Christ. Christ is woven throughout everything in creation, in God's Word, from the very first word to the last. Christ is in the Old Testament. And He's in this psalm. And we want to highlight Christ today because uh, Paul does that when he highlights uh, marriage. When he talks about marriage in Ephesians 5 that we've already read, he highlights Christ. Another reason is because um, sometimes the Old Testament seems closed to us. When we read to our children or when we uh, instruct our family, we, we sometimes get lost in the Old Testament. We say, how does this affect us? How, what do we say uh, from this passage about Christ? How, do, how does it fit? And I want to encourage you by looking at it with you this way this morning that, uh, that we can find Christ here. That, that uh, even as Jesus was growing up, He found out who the Messiah was by reading the Psalms. So, so it may not have been written, so He heard the Psalms. But He explained the Psalms. And as He did, as He understood what the Psalms were saying uh, about the, the Davidic line that goes on forever, about the eternal kingdom and about the king exalted in glory, honor, and honor, he's, he's reading it and he's saying, Father, teach me who I am. And so Jesus learned who the Messiah was from these things. Now, as the original audience read this, they weren't thinking of Jesus as we know Him. They weren't looking back to Jesus with the truth and facts that we have recorded for us in God's Word. The original audience understood that there was a, they, they, there was a real present live king and he was uh at times married if you were if you if you lived under solomon's reign how many weddings were there you know that's ridiculous could could you imagine having a wedding as many times as he did uh but even as they even as they understood that this was for a real and present king at the time uh, those with eyes to hear or eyes to see and ears to hear and understand, uh, they realized that there was a coming king. 
the king of kings who is yet to come, who is yet to be revealed. Originally, this psalm may have been written for David or Solomon or or some other king. Um, But ultimately, this psalm is about Christ. And Christ, in all of His excellencies, is the final fulfillment of all the glory and fullness of Psalm 45. Read with me Psalm 45. For the choir director, according to the Shoshanim, a maskal of the sons of Korah, a song of love. My heart overflows with a goodly theme. I address my verses to the King. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one. In your splendor and majesty, ride forth. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp and the peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made you glad. King's daughters are among your noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter. Give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty. Because he is your Lord, bow down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions who follow her, will be brought to you. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. In place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever. This psalm, even as we've read it, probably reminded you of so many themes of redemptive history. And particularly about Christ and the church. Uh, When the writer to the Hebrews, wouldn't it be nice if they actually figured out who that was? Then you wouldn't have to say that every time. The writer to the Hebrews wrote Hebrews. He, He used Psalm 45. He says, about the Son, in verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews 1, he says, about the Son... He says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your righteousness. Will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And he's actually mixed in a couple of other verses when he says, you are the most excellent of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. 
Therefore, God has blessed you forever. It's appropriate for us to see Christ in this psalm because God does it Himself. He pulls it into the New Testament, the whole thing, and He says this is about Christ. And then as He, as he explains in the rest of Hebrews, He explains that this is about Christ and the church. Now, marriage, interestingly enough, is also about Christ and the church. Uh, probably many of you have heard of Ephesians 5 preached on. <clears throat> you could easily do it from Ephesians 5. You could preach from Colossians 3. Uh, those passages are pointedly applicable to marriage. Uh, but the interesting thing in Ephesians 5 is the ending. You know, remember when Paul's writing Ephesians 5, he says uh, when, it's, when it's all done about wives submitting to their husbands, about husbands loving their wives, just as Christ loved the church, and you get to the end and he says, but this is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ in the church. Marriage is not about man and woman, ultimately. It's not about Jody and Jenna. It's about Christ in the church. That's what marriage is about. Now, we get to enter into that physically, representatively, on earth. But it's not about us. Marriage is ultimately about Christ and the church. As great as marriage is, and it is great, it is indescribably wonderful to be united to help and to serve and to love and to grow together. As great as that is, there is something greater. Marriage is not the, uh, it's neither the start nor the stop. It's not the beginning or the end. It's not even the terminus. But it is... Um, pointing to Christ in the church. So Psalm 45 is about, is about Christ in the church and marriage is about Christ in the church. And so, Jody and Jenna, you're going to be married and Psalm 45 is for you. If you read, if we were to read it again, you would see that your individual stories are here. That you have been pursued by God. Each of you has been pursued. Uh... Arrows have been shot at you and into your heart. You've been killed by God. By the King, by the Mighty One. You've been clothed with regal splendor. The clothing of righteousness that you did not gain on your own. That you did not love. But as God pursued you, He caused you to love Him. And in the clothing of you, He desired to love you because of your beauty. All because you have individually been called out of darkness into light. God has called you individually into the church. The church's story is also here. This, this psalm is about Christ, so it exalts the hope of Israel. It exalts the glory and head of the church. It exalts the rescuer and redeemer of individuals and the salvation of all the nation. It exalts particularly the strength and joy and comfort of grace and righteousness to Jody and Jenna Killingsworth. You are both the bride of Christ. So you've been rescued individually. You've been brought into this kingdom. It's the church. And you're both here as the church being called from darkness into light. You've been, uh, you're, you're wearing clothes of righteousness, not of your own. But you're both the bride of Christ. As the church. Amazing. 
Clothing has been given to you and interwoven with gold, and you stand on equal footing in Christ before the Father. You are co-heirs of all that God gives to the church in Christ. You are precious in the sight of God, and you are beautiful to the King. Now we end up with this King theme in Psalm 45. And the psalmist asks in another place, Who is this King? Who is this King of glory? It's the Lord, strong and mighty. In all of His qualities, the King is the most excellent of men. Now, King is a, is a term of, of, uh, of title. And it's fitting as a title for His role. And we want to understand that, there's a, there, that he, he, is, he has the title of King because He is the King, but He also has the role of King, which enters back into marriage. Even though Jody and Jenna are co-heirs and they stand on equal footing before God, they have different roles. The King is a fitting title for Christ because He is the ruler, reigner, sustainer, conqueror of all things. He is the Mighty One. He is robed in splendor and majesty. He created the heavens and He stretched them out with His hand. He spread the earth and all that comes out of it. He gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. At His Word, at the Word of the King, the cedars of Lebanon twist. The mountains tremble. The seas resound with joy and gladness. The rivers clap their hands with joy as they worship the King. With His voice, the King speaks and the storm stops. The storm obeys the voice of the King. He commands the praise and worship of all created things, and all created things ultimately bow down before the King and praise Him and worship Him and honor Him and give Him glory. And they call to Him, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because He is the King. Fittingly, and rightfully so. In this king, we have things that, that in our day we may call opposites. We have things in this king like ruling and submission, like honor and exaltation, like equality and difference. We have in him battling and conquering. We have in Him righteousness and judgment, beauty and grace, meekness and strength. Do they go together in your mind? Meekness and strength? They go together in Christ. Beauty and desire. These things in Christ are complementary. And His words come out of His entire being. His strength and His meekness come out in words of graciousness to those who hear. He speaks with wisdom. He always spoke with wisdom. Jesus, when He walked among people on earth, spoke with wisdom and gentleness and tenderness so that He did not bruise, or He did not break a bruised reed. He never did it. He didn't see the flax that was smoldering and snuff it out but rather His words with gentleness spoken with the power of the God Almighty who calms the storm. His words kindle bright light in a dark world. And He binds up broken, battered, hurting, disheartened, sad, and lonely people. 
He heals them and strengthens them and calls them to stand with them. And then He calls them to fight with Him and to be His agents of light and love and change in this world. And this is the King whom we have all sworn allegiance. He is the Lord strong and mighty. And He is uh, for you your Master and Lord and King. That is the King. That is Christ. We are in the church, the bride of Christ. You are both in the church, the bride of Christ. Co-heirs. All that's available to you. But in marriage, you only get one bride. So who's it going to be? You? Good choice. Okay, Jenna has elected to be the bride. That's appropriate. Um, Well, what does that mean now? If you're the bride, what does that mean? Are you looking at Jody because you want him to be the king? Okay. If Christ is the king and the bride is the church, then Jenna acts the role of the church. And Jody acts the role of the king. But hold on a second. We'll get to it in a minute. This also means for Jenna that you get to be loved and honored and cherished and protected. Now think of the words from Psalm 45. What is the king doing? You get to be rescued from darkness both now and for the next 80 years or so. A thousand times a day. You need to be rescued. And you get to be desirable to your husband. And to be tender and weak. And I would encourage you to be weak. And to be strong in your weakness. To find your joy and delight in being a woman who's weak. And vulnerable. If you're weak, you're vulnerable. And you can be hurt. And in your vulnerability and weakness and gentleness and tenderness, entrust yourself to God. But the, it's, the world will tell you <clears throat> that you need to be the opposite of that. That you need to be strong and protect yourself. God's Word calls us, calls you to be tender and weak. To be gentle and needy. Just like the church is weak and needy. The church needs Christ and you need Christ. And you need Jody representing Christ. Now, Jody will fight for you, or will he? Ultimately, who's the best advocate? It's Christ, isn't it? Christ will fight for you and will protect you as you entrust yourself to Him. Jesus Christ will be your strength. You depend on Him. And God will give you the strength to do what is right 
in you and through you by the power of Christ. That's your role. Now, interestingly enough, there's something else you get out of this whole deal. You get to be loved and cared for and protected and honored and you get to be desired and Jody gets to care for you and all the rest. But there's something else that you get. It's actually your own way. Uh, now, we could think, we could think, if we, were to, if we were to quote the passage from the Old Testament that says, uh, raise up a child in the way he will go, or how does that go? Should go, or he will go his own way, something like that. <clears throat> if you're, if, but this is not what we're talking about here. When I say uh, you will go your own, you will get your own way if you entrust yourself to God. Um, it's not that foolishness, outwardly, unsubmissiveness about getting your own way. That's not what I'm talking about. But you are going to get what you need. Second Peter 3 says, If any of them do not believe the word, speaking to wives concerning their husbands, if any of them do not believe the word, if, if Jody does not believe the word, you will win him over to your side of the argument. There's parts missing. We'll get to that. This is talking about winning arguments. It's talking about having your way in a fight or in a quarrel or in a dispute. Wives can actually win their way and to have what they need and want. This is not just about unbelievers who do not believe the Word. We all act foolishly every day. Believers act foolishly every day. I act foolishly every day. I do not believe the Word a hundred times a day. And God gives us our wives to correct us and to change us. Now, how do wives do that? That's the question. It's great to know that wives can win arguments with their husbands, right? The, the question is, how do wives win arguments with their husbands? How do they win the fight? Well, the rest of Second uh, Peter 3 tells us it's in submission through quietness. It even goes so far as to say without a word. Wives win arguments with their husbands without a word. No words. That's what it says. I'm not making it up. Page 1165. It says, wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, that's the key, you have to hope in God, were made precious, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, 
Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. It's all right if you do that. Calling him Lord, and you have become Sarah's child if you do what is right without being frightened by fear. You're going to be tempted to fear about everything. Wives do all the time. That's what wives do. And you're going to be tempted to stuff it in Jody's face and say, I am afraid. Take care of me. Honor me. Love me. All those things Jeff said. You do it right now. And it's, that's not how it's done. God says how it's done. With submissiveness, entrusting yourself to God, gently, quietly, developing that inner spirit of peace, not fearing. And then without a word, God's Spirit moves and changes this rock-hard man who doesn't see and doesn't hear and doesn't understand to love you and care for you and protect you. Be Jody's weak and tender and gentle and submissive helper. That's what he needs. That's the role of the church. And that's the role of Jenna. You can do that with God's help. Now, Jody, if Jenna is going to be all those things, if she's going to be honored and cherished and supported and husbanded, protected, cared for, held, clothed, pursued, wooed, captured, lived with, understood, rejuvenated, thought about, considered, adored, despised. No. It says actually desired is what I meant. If she's going to be defended and guarded and revered, shielded, preserved, taught, counseled, led, if she's going to be doing, if that's what's going to happen to her, if that's what she gets out of this deal, who's going to do it? (laughs) You get to be the king. I didn't even say loved in that list of things. And she gets to be loved. You get to love her. Above all else, above all others, you love her. Husbands, love your wives. All of you, husbands, love your wives. You don't love others. You love your wife. That's yours. Jenna's yours. She's your bride. How do you love her? That's the hard one. By laying down your life the life of energy, the life of desires, the life of goals, the life of thoughts, your life. Physically, spiritually, mentally, you lay down your life in love. Just like Christ laid down His life from now until the end, until death parts you. That's your job. You get to love her the hardest work imaginable. It's easy to let her go her own way. It's easy not to correct her. It's easy not to love her. But you need to. And in order to do that, you you go to the source of love. And you stick your face in the source of love. And you feed on Christ. And you fill yourself with Christ. And as you turn to Jenna... You give her what she needs. You love her. And the context for this love is life. 
We've lived life and we know what it's like. For those who are believers, we know that inside us is this incredible turmoil that tears at us at every moment. I want to do this, but I don't want to do that. I, I, I actually want to do this, but no, I don't really want to do that. I want to do this. Life is about hardships. Life is about trials and uncertainty and confusion, overwhelming responsibilities, millions and millions of decisions to make. Thousands of things that need to be done. The context for your love for Jenna is that life. Being overwhelmed by what you see. Not knowing where to start or begin or how to finish. And that's the context for your love. The greatest gift you have to help you with that is Jenna. And Christ. He will fill you and give you hope and joy. And the context for this life is Christ. I've highlighted Christ this morning because marriage is ultimately not about you. It's not about Jody and Jenna. It's ultimately about Christ. Jesus Christ wrote Himself into the story of history. Jesus Christ designed a world in which branches bear fruit only when they're attached to the vine. Jesus designed a world where we build cities and those cities have rivers running through them and to them. And so the cities are gladdened when the water is pure. The water sustains them. Jesus designed a world in which lakes are naturally cleaned by the spring that springs in new water and filters off the bad stuff as we're filled with new water. Jesus designed a world in which seeds fall to the earth and die, but rise again to bear a glorious harvest. Jesus designed a world in which grapes are crushed and the wine that results makes men merry. He designed a world where light pierces darkness, shatters the darkness with light, where bread nourishes and feeds the body of man. He designed a world in which sheep know the voice of their masters and where shepherds search for lost sheep until they find them. He designed a world where fathers care for their children, giving them fish instead of stones and bread rather than snakes. He designed a world in which husbands pursue capture and delight in, cherish, love, live, and die for wives. Jesus built Himself into the world. Everything that Jesus would do, He's written into the world, into creation. And He's, he's made a world where when husbands delight in, cherish, love, live, and die for their wives, wives respond with glad-hearted submission and joy and loving respect their husbands. Jesus Christ designed all of these particulars into the world, not arbitrarily. He didn't come to earth and say, okay, what can I pick out of the world to make it work for me so I can talk about it? But He designed it knowing that one day He would walk and tell His disciples, see this vine? See that farmer sowing seed? See the grapes that are crushed? I built that. You guys are actors in this story. 
You could think of yourself as actors anyway. You're the king. You're the bride. You need to act like a king. You're going to be crowned the king of your home. Rule wisely with justice and righteousness. When you make laws, make them just and fair. Be a servant king in the same way that Jesus Christ served by laying down His life for His bride. Be a king with understanding and compassion and patience. Be considerate of Jenna and live with her according to who she is and she will grow into the bride Christ wants her to be. Treat her with respect as the weaker partner and as a co-heir with you of the gracious gift of life. Your prayers will not be hindered if you do that. And Jenna, you're about to be clothed with a royal gown and to be the queen of your home. Entrust yourself to God who judges justly and so be submissive to Jody so that through your pure and reverent behavior everyone who sees you would believe the Gospel. Adorn yourself with the inner unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. You're not going to pretend to be these things. You're not playing house. It's not try to get it right this time. If it doesn't work, we'll try it again. It's real. There are no trial runs. Jenna, you are the bride of Jody. And Jody, you are the husband of Jenna. The question for the both of you is this. How faithfully will I live out my role in God's pageant? How accurately will you guys show angels and unseen powers and rulers and authorities what God is really like? How truthfully will you be telling a watching universe of the joys of serving the King of Kings, Jenna, by the way you love and respect the one who stands in his place in your home? You are actors on a cosmic stage, acting out your role each day as you live. You will live each day in character, doing what your role calls you to do. Do it believing. Believing that God's way is the right way. Believing that the narrow path has the best ending that the unseen world is worth the investment. You have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. All riches, all power, all glory, all faith, all love has been given to you in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will help you with these things. He will fill you with His Spirit and strengthen you with His Word. He will encourage you with His people and empower you with His grace to do all that He commands you to do. And He will forgive you when you blow it. You're going to blow it. Today, tomorrow, and a thousand times. And Jesus Christ comes to those who are broken, who are weak, who are hurting, and He lifts them up. And He gives them life. And He doesn't do it just once. He does it continually, all the time, lifting up, strengthening, encouraging, and saving. Jesus is absolutely concerned with your marriage. Because ultimately, your marriage is not about you. It's about Christ. It's a picture of Christ in the church. And Jesus Christ is very interested in having that look appropriately. One writer said that um, even angels don't understand this. I don't understand it. I've told you what I have gotten from Psalm 45. It's what I believe to be true about Psalm 45, but I don't understand it all. There's hard days ahead. Christ knows what those days are like. 
you turn to Him. At the end of Psalm 45, it ends this way. The last two verses say, In the place of your fathers will be sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. And I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will give you thanks forever and ever. There's fruitfulness in the Gospel. There's fruitfulness. I don't know if it's physical. But there sits here a crowd of people whom you have touched with your words and thoughts and care and love. You've done that because of Christ in you. Continue to do that and you will bear fruit. May God bless you.